Hey everyone, this is Last Jackson of Detroit Bad Boys. This is Chance Jackson of Detroit Bad Boys. And on this week's episode, we're talking about your Detroit Pistons. Ben Gulker and I recap Detroit's offseason moves and the Summer League play in Vegas. We talk about our expectations for this year and what the U.S. winning the Ryder Cup has to do with the NBA season. As always, we appreciate your continued support of the podcast. The best way to do that is to share, subscribe, and leave comments. Please leave comments on the discussion post on Detroit Bad Boys. That's the best way for us to have the conversation that we want to have around the podcast. In order to do that, though, you have to follow DetroitBadBoys.com, which you should be doing because it's the best place on the internet for Pistons news and analysis this upcoming season. With all that said, it's time to go to work. Hello, everyone. Uh, welcome to the Detroit Bad Boys podcast. Uh, I am your recently returned host, Lazarus Jackson. Pleased, as always, to be joined by my usual co-host, Ben Gulker. What's up, Ben? Laz, I'm doing good. Living the, living the dream this weekend, watching the Ryder Cup, hanging out with the family. It's good to be back, man. We haven't talked basketball in a while. How are you? I'm doing good. Uh, it's week seven. So uh, things are going, you know, pretty swimmingly so far. But uh, like we were talking about pre-show, like I'm, I'm aware that it could turn at any moment. And so I'm just trying to enjoy these these quiet times as long as they last. Um, but quiet times are pretty much over because the, the preseason's right around the corner for the Detroit Pistons. Uh, we are recording this on September 26th. Media day for the Detroit Pistons is tomorrow. September 27th and preseason is basically like, you know, the first week of October, which is like preseason games are the first week of October, which is a ridiculous turnaround uh, to think about. But yeah, the, the season's basically here, Ben, and we haven't talked in like three months. So I figured like, let's, let's talk about the off season condensed. And then like next week we'll get to like the actual like preseason and stuff. What do you say? Sounds good to me. Let's do it. Let's do it. All right. So, in the offseason DBB on three that we put up on Detroit Bad Boys, you gave the Pistons a B for their offseason, saying that you continue to see them as a couple years away from being good, but you're okay with that and excited about the upcoming season. Is that Does that still remain the case? Because if I remember correctly, this is like before the Seku trade and before they, uh, you know, they signed Luke Garza to a full uh, NBA contract, and they brought in Jamarco Pickett on the two-way. So, did did any of those minor moves kind of shake you on how the offseason uh, kind of went out? Uh, no, not really. I, I think I'm kind of in the same spot. Um, you know, I think taking Cade, uh, you know, obviously the consensus number one pick, I think is going to be the right thing. Um, and then, you know, a lot of those moves around the periphery. Um, you know, for me going into the offseason after taking Cade, the, the big thing was don't put yourself in handcuffs with a bunch of bad contracts, and they didn't do that, right? They plugged in, you know, some some veteran guys who, you know, I think essentially are just placeholders, right? Like these are the type of guys we want to have on the roster, you know, when when Cade sort of gets into his prime years. Um, but 
hopefully better versions of these guys, right? So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think ultimately um, I, I stand by what I did. I, I like the, the Cade pick. I like the draft a lot. I like Livers and Garza. Um, I like that those guys are going to be on the roster and hopefully getting minutes this season. Um, and they, they didn't do anything crazy, uh, which which I really, really am happy about. So, so yeah, I, I'm feeling pretty good about the season. I'm really excited about the season, even though I don't expect a whole lot of winning. This is going to be, I think, the most exciting season Pistons fans have had in a long time. And man, am I ready for it. It has been, it has been a long decade as a Pistons fan, so I'm ready for something exciting to cheer for. No, for sure. Uh, I think I definitely think that you're right in that once you make the decision, once the, the team made the decision to bring in Cade Cunningham, not handcuffing themselves to anything uh, like really negative long term was imperative, and they they did a good job of that. Um, before the uh, offseason started, we talked a little bit about um, like the kind of bigs because uh, even before uh, the offseason, we knew center was a soft spot within the team. We talked about the type of bigs that we would both like to see on this team. Um, talked about kind of a lob threat rim running uh defender type of guy they still don't really have that guy on the roster but with the signing of kelly olenic um they they brought in like something a little bit different uh and olenic is a much better he's a, he's a better defender i think than um people give him credit for on first blush uh he had a better defensive rating last year than mason Plumley. uh is better better offensively and defensively uh than mason Plumley. um last season uh including his time with the rockets and so ben what what kind of like what what kind of addition do you think kelly olenic is going to be uh for this team moving forward yeah well i have to say i was surprised when i saw those numbers that you put into the sheet kelly olenic being kind of a negative 2.5 Plumley being a negative five uh, that that surprised me yeah uh Plumlee was much much worse a defender than i imagined yeah and so the other thing that was interesting about that is Plumley was worse than the team's overall D rating and um, Olenek was better than his team's overall D rating. So I found that interesting as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I'm not a huge, I've never been a huge Olenek fan, so I'm going to be cheering for him anyway. And, and hopefully he wins me over in that respect. But I think, you know, he gives, he gives you space and some offensive versatility that obviously you didn't have a season ago. And I think the, the thinking here seems pretty obvious to me. You want to give Cade uh, Cunningham lots of, of room to operate, right? And so, you know, obviously long-term, Olenek's not the solution, but he's kind of that placeholder, right? So you get him for this two-year deal. The third year is either some sort of option or partially guaranteed. I don't, I don't know if the details were ever um, formally released about that. But he gives you this... Um, you know, this is the kind of big we could imagine bringing on to the roster long-term uh, to fit with Cade, and we're going to give him a couple years to run with Cade while Cade develops and hopefully blossoms and matures as a player. And so so that makes sense to me. Um, and uh, I, I think that's what he gives you. Yeah, definitely not the rim-running lob threat. The Pistons <laughs> don't have that. You're right. <laughs> Plumley was always surprisingly good at being a lob threat. Um, so this, this gives you something completely different, um, and hopefully just going to just give lots of room 
for, for Cade and I think Jeremy Grant as well will benefit from having some of that space. And then you also think about, you know, Beef Stew potentially adding some of that as well. So you can certainly envision lineups with the two of those bigs playing together, giving your perimeter, perimeter guys lots of room uh, to operate off the dribble uh, and obviously being threats to shoot the ball themselves. So, so yeah, I, I like that. I like what that gives to the team that really they didn't have a season ago. Do you think Olenek starts to begin the season? That's a great question. I've been thinking about the starting lineup a lot, Laz. I'll be curious to hear what you have to say as well. Yeah. Um, I just, I don't know if I like him as a full-time five against starting five big men. Like that would be, that would be my concern. Um, I, I don't know. I just don't know if that's really where he fits. I can certainly see him playing the five situationally, especially against backup bigs, right? I can see that working. Uh, and I can certainly envision him being the five, like when you're doing the situational uh, shuffling at the end of games, right? You can imagine him and Grant being paired up offensively on the four or five when you're trying to get lots of spacing and versatility and that kind of stuff. But I worry a little bit about his ability to play against uh, starting bigs, especially more traditional bigs who, uh, you know, I think give him some problems in terms of size, strength, and rebounding. So, um, I, you know, we know Casey loves him some veterans, so um, it certainly could happen. But I guess my preference would be I'd like to see him operate more um, coming off of the bench, playing either the four or five, depending on how the rotation and matchups shake out. No, that's fair. I think the the like trading Mason Plumley to make room for Kelly Olenek uh, also in a way is a concession to the need to develop Isaiah Stewart. And I think part of that is going to involve him being in the starting lineup from day one. Um, you bring up excellent points about uh, Olenek being a much better uh, defender against bench lineups than against uh, you know starting uh, centers in the NBA. I think uh, Stewart acquitted himself really well on, on that end of the floor at the end of the season uh, as a starter. And I think the Pistons think that like long-term, that's what Stewart's going to be, is going to be the starting center for this like Cade Cunningham team. And so I don't think Kelly starts, but I do think he plays a really important and, and vital role for this team. Uh, like you mentioned, just as a, as a very versatile, um, as a very versatile offensive big man who also is not like a total sieve on defense, right? Like you could assign like Luke Cornett or something for like $2 million. If you just wanted somebody to space the floor, but uh, Olenek can also like, you can, you know, you can use him in DHOs and stuff. Um, you, he he's not uh, an amazing roller, but he's a good short roller because he makes uh, like half these decisions out of the short roll. Um, and so I, I think that like yeah, he's going to play uh, a pretty important role in this team. But that role doesn't necessarily mean he's going to end up in the starting lineup. It's a little weird to think that um, you know you traded you, you traded down twenty picks in the draft to pick up a backup center that's going to make more than last year's starting center, but. Uh, it is just really a concession to the fact that I think Isaiah Stewart uh, played ahead of schedule uh, mm-hmm. for this team uh, last year and that they're, eager, they're really eager to see uh, what he's got in store for them uh, this upcoming season. Uh, that was the biggest. That was like the, the quote unquote like biggest in, I think, in both name and in uh, numerical like contract amount, the uh, acquisition the Pistons made this offseason. 
The other main thing they did was they brought back most, but not all, of their guys. Uh, Hamadou Diallo, Frank Jackson, Corey Joseph, all uh, all re-signed on relatively inexpensive short-term deals. Um, and so what I wanted to ask you, Ben, was not necessarily like, uh, since I think we, we both agree that the structure and like amount and length of those contracts is ideal. Um, I guess the, the question then is like, was the opportunity cost of like re-signing Corey Joseph, like worth it? Was there another uh, bench veteran point guard out there on the market for at like two years, you know, 5 million a year that you thought would have been better suited for this Pistons team? Yeah, I mean, that's a fair question. I, I think about Corey Joseph a season ago was in spite of, you know, his tendency to dribble the air out of the basketball, he was actually very productive. Like he, he kind of did what lots of guys have done under Dwayne Casey, and that's play some of the best point guard basketball of their life. And look, the, the Pistons are going to need a second slash third point guard, right? And I think, um, you know, as they retool and rebuild around, obviously, Cade Cunningham right now, I think they're making the decision that they still want to put lineups out there that compete, and that that's going to require some veteran guys to, you know, sort of take the reins a little bit from, from some of these younger players at times. So, you know, were, were there better guys? Eh, maybe, but at the same time, you sort of know what you're getting with, with those players that you're bringing back. And actually one of the things that I, I kind of like is that when, when you look at the roster they're bringing, you know, to the first game of, of the upcoming season. Um, they're not dramatically better. I don't think than a season ago. And the reason that that's okay with me is they really could still use like one more high lottery pick, right? Like they could, <laughs> yeah. they could use that opportunity. So like you brought guys back who are competent, but not really good, right? Like they can compete. You're not going to get blown out of the gym by 30 and 40 points every night, but you're also, not trying to like prematurely rush into being good because in my opinion, they're not quite there yet. So, you know, you, you gave yourself the opportunity to get another, another high lottery pick. And look, um, the other thing that I think is interesting about some of these contracts um, is they're, they're relatively movable if you want to, right? I think um, obviously, Weaver reloaded on some of those second rounders that he had shipped out in previous trades, and it would not shock me to see, you know, some of these veterans get moved because <laughs> Weaver's not afraid of doing that for sure. And there's a handful of very team-friendly contracts for useful players. Um, so yeah, I mean, maybe they could have picked better players. That that that's possible, um, but I don't I don't know if they really needed to. I think it was okay just bring some of these guys back, see what they can do and, and maybe give yourself a good chance at another high pick. That the point you made about the movability of some of these guys, I think is really interesting and something I hadn't really thought through. Um, but like, that's an excellent point, especially since as we've seen, like Troy Weaver is completely unafraid to trade people if, if he thinks uh, he's got someone better in mind. And so, like, that's an excellent point. And you, you can definitely see a situation in which, you know, um, if a 
we, we I've thought a lot about the wing rotation, right? So like you assume Cade is is playing in the backcourt. You've got, you know, Josh Jackson, Hamadou Diallo, Frank Jackson, Killian Hayes, Corey Joseph, like all kind of in that backcourt mix. Uh, if, you know, Hami or Frank kind of falls out of the mix, it would be trivial. It'd be easy to trade like Frank Jackson to a team um, because everybody needs like perimeter guys who can who can really shoot the ball and, and put the ball on the ground a little bit um, that only costs like, you know, three million a year. Right. What do we what does Frank make? I have I have the sheet up. It's like now I can actually check. Yeah. Three million a year. And it was like. Any team would love to have Frank Jackson at $3 million a year. And so, you know, that's maybe that's your opportunity to pick up a rim-running big man. Maybe that's your opportunity to, uh, you know, open up a roster spot to take on some bad salary, you know, uh, as we come up on the trade deadline. Um, and so having a little bit of that positional flexibility with these contracts is an excellent point and one I wish I would have thought of, Ben. Great job. <laughs> well, and I – like, I mean, I would even throw Kelly Olenek into that conversation or Olenek. I, I think I just mispronounced his name. Yeah. Um, you know, that, that contract, given that the third deal or the, excuse me, the third year of that deal. And, and the third year is uh, not fully guaranteed. Yeah. So, I mean, even that contract, the priciest one, as you mentioned, of the summer, there's a lot of teams who would love to add a guy like him to their playoff rotation, right, coming off the bench. So, uh, essentially, every contract on the roster is like that if you wanted to be technical about it so yeah i mean props to troy weaver everything about the roster remains very very flexible um and i think that's a fantastic asset as you're you're still in my opinion very much in rebuild mode this season all right ben the we're gonna get to the one off-season move i didn't really love and that wasn't it wasn't necessarily the selection of Trey Lyles like over Seku Dumbuya. Like I, I understood uh, why they felt like they didn't want to hold on to Seku anymore. I, I like I get it, but in my opinion, like Trey Lyles is just uh, not the type of player that like has a real use on this Pistons team, right? Um, like we, we we talked about how the veterans will you know help you compete help you like get into games um and i think people don't think of trey lyles in that same way but like this is his like sixth year he's 27 like he is a vet and he's not been very good at the thing that he's supposed to be good at uh in the nba which is like perimeter shooting he's like he's not been an elite uh, three-point shooter for his career he's been like an an average three-point shooter like even for uh even for a big man in today's nba and so it's not it's not just that like trey lyles isn't great um but it's that uh it's like i don't even know i don't even like you you i, I i'd be willing to hear the argument about why trey lyles is is uh more worthy of being on the roster than seku but i thought it was a pretty uh stunning indictment that they they picked like you know they picked trey lyles over over a 20 year old with still a, a lot of room to develop what did you think of that um that selection so i don't i don't know i don't have strong feelings about trey lyles he's a guy that i, I, have, I you know like before the pistons go get him I, when's the last time you thought about trey lyles right yeah, like sir. he's just like you know he, he hasn't really turned in so much he had a good opportunity in san antonio to do that and, and you know played but didn't play a lot didn't make a big contribution so i don't have super strong feelings about him 
But when they moved on from Seku, um, what that suggested to me is that he probably looks in practice a lot like he has in games. And we've, we talked about him a lot, right? Like, what is he good at? What is he going to become? What What is his niche going to be? And none of that ever really got established. And it just sort of made me think, you know, Troyer is not confident in that development trajectory. And um, like you said, he is very, very young. Um, we've talked a lot about the fact that he didn't start playing basketball till later on in, in his life. And so there was still potentially a lot of um, untapped potential there. Um, but look, he, in his first two seasons in Detroit, he, he had what, maybe two or three games where it was like, wow, this kid could turn into something. And then the overwhelming majority of the time, we're just kind of scratching our heads going, okay, well, what, what is Seku going to do tonight? Is there going to be something useful that happens or is he going to be, you know, the invisible guy standing around in the corner? And to me, what it sort of suggested was Troy Weaver just didn't believe in that development trajectory. Um, you know, taking a flyer on Trey Lyles, I, it's, it's hard to say it's even a flyer because, as you said, he's older and he's in his late 20s. He's hitting those years where you expect a guy to sort of be a finished product and he's not particularly great at anything. So it is a bit of a head scratcher. I'm not sure why he's the guy that you go with instead of a Seku. But I I do think I, I can sympathize with uh, Weaver's desire to move on from Seku. Seku is not, um, you know, a Troy Weaver project, right? It was an inherit, someone he inherited. <laughs> and I think he just wanted to move on beca- before it potentially became impossible to do so. And Personally, I'm I'm not too upset about it. Like I I Sega just didn't show me enough in his first two seasons to make me think he was gonna turn into something. Maybe he will. I hope he does for his own sake, but I think I was completely okay with the fact that they moved on from him. Yeah. I I wonder what like Seku's gonna be a guy I keep an eye on, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. I don't I don't think he's gonna be like Chris Middleton or anything like that. I think we're like I think if if he was going to do if he was going to end up having that type of career, we would have seen that more consistently out of him by at this point. Um, but at the same time, he's twenty, right? I, I'll be keeping an eye on him and just seeing what uh, what happens with the rest of his career. Um, but I, I one last thing on Trey Lyles, I do think um, like again, no, uh, not like under I'm fully understanding like why you chose to give it to Seku. Um, I think, like, instead of Trey Lyles, this might have been uh, the opportunity to get the rim-running, defending big men that we talked about. If if they had uh, you know, even, like, an Isaiah Hartenstein instead of Trey Lyles, just a guy who offered something a little bit different than what Kelly Olenek and Isaiah Stewart uh, are offering you from uh, from yeah. an offensive perspective. I, th- I think that would be valuable. Just having the ability to throw different looks as is like Olenek, the combination of Olenek and Stewart just like outstrips Trey Lyles in, in, in every category. And so like, I, I don't think it's particularly valuable to have Trey Lyles on this team, like in any scenario. Right. But uh, that's, you know, again, he's here for like two and a half million dollars over two years. Like the second year is, uh, I don't even think it's fully guaranteed. And so like this could just be like a very transitory uh, period for, for Trey. All right, Ben. Uh, next up, uh, 
Do you want to do Jamarco Pickett or do you want to do Cassius Stanley? <laughs> do I want to do who? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I didn't. So I didn't see a ton. So after they sort of started resting Cade in summer league, I didn't watch a ton. I read the highlights and everything. Um, so I'll say, I'll say this. I do like. So I, I like what they did with Pickett more than I like Pickett. And it, what, I'm, <laughs> what I mean by that is, um, you know, Les, one of the things we've talked about over the, the past couple of years is, you know, what does it mean for a, a team and a franchise to sort of put a, a brand on itself when it comes to player relations and reputation with free agency and free agents and those kinds of things? I think it's really cool that a guy who managed to do something unexpected in summer league and be productive in a way that nobody was really expecting earned his way onto a two-way contract and is sort of earning a chance to become a part of a roster right now we'll we'll pick it turn into something and stick i mean obviously the odds are really slim it could happen but the odds are slim but i also think it it's really it says something to sort of define and brand yourself that way as a franchise, especially while you're be rebuilding. And I think that could potentially be attractive. Like we want to be a destination where, you know, if, if you work hard and play well and perform, you have a chance to be rewarded. So that's what I'll say uh, about Jamarco Pickett. I, you know, uh, the Pistons obviously could use a traditional backup big, you know, maybe Pickett will find a way to do some of those things for the Pistons. But even if he doesn't, you know, I like the fact that they're they're giving him a chance, and I, I think that's going to resonate with Detroit as a city, with who the franchise has been historically, and so I I do like it from that perspective at a minimum. Okay, I I like that perspective. Um, I I'm intrigued by Pickett. Pickett is like the 23 year old version of uh, Seku in that <laughs> uh, it, this is you know four year guy. Uh, from from georgetown i believe he started the last two seasons um good not great three-point shooter and uh active and uh engaged defender but not necessarily like making impact plays all the time as we saw in summer league but uh a guy with uh that level of uh, engagement uh, on a consistent basis is like the type of thing we were always like asking for from seku right and so I think of I think of uh, Pickett. I think Pickett is going to be a really interesting piece for this team. I do think it's interesting that the Pistons now have um, two like six nine wing shooting like wing three and D types on two way contracts and Chris Smith and Jamarco Pickett. Um, Smith is a little bit more of an on ball guy, but like still like both of those like the the six eight guy who can shoot threes and defend is like a very coveted thing uh, in the NBA. And I think it's interesting that they use both two-way slots on uh, like two shots at, at that type of player. Um, but yeah, we, unless we watch a lot of the Motor City crews this season, which is a possibility, they look like they could be pretty fun, honestly. Um, but otherwise I don't think we see uh, much of Jamarco Pickett in Detroit uh, this season. Um, Cassius Stanley. Dude, I also don't think we see much of a Detroit uh, in in Detroit this season. But he was signed to an Exhibit Ten camp deal. Um, big time athlete, 
out of a major program in Duke. Uh, ben, do you remember anything about Cassius Stanley from draft coverage like two years ago? Barely. I refreshed myself before, um, well, just after the Pistons signed him before we recorded today because I, I couldn't remember him. And he hard, like he hardly played last year, right? In Indiana, he mm-hmm. barely played at all. So I don't remember anything about him from a season ago in the NBA. Yeah, and that's because he didn't do anything memorable. Um, you know, I, I reached out to some Indiana people after uh, after the the report of the signing came in, and uh, the re- what the, what I heard back was a little underwhelming. Um, made a point that you know he wasn't always super engaged, um, wasn't always um, wasn't always like the the hardest worker that you would have liked to see for a guy. You know, under the Duke pedigree, um, like with his athleticism, but the athleticism is really interesting. I think again, that type of athleticism will play really well uh, in the G League if the Pistons just are using this as Exhibit Ten as a way to uh, obtain his G League rights. Um, it was also pointed out to me that the Pistons hired uh, Jason Buckner, an Indiana Pacers like scout. Uh, that was one of remember that was yeah. one of Troy Weaver's hires, and yep. uh, it was pointed out to me that that there could be some relationship there uh, with uh, maybe maybe um, Buckner being a, a Stanley guy, uh, being a believer in that type of athlete, and uh, you know bringing him into Detroit. It's a very low cost move. Um, one I think that uh, because of the athleticism, like because of the highlights, um, people are going to see what this guy can do uh, on occasion and uh, be really excited. But the work ethic and the consistency and the ball handling, I think, is uh, our question marks moving forward. Um, and so you know, it'd be fun to watch, but I don't know if he's kind of an impact player for the Pistons. But he, he's a guy I'll be curious to see what he looks like in preseason. If he's if he's worked on his game during the offseason, like he remains like a very intriguing player with that level of athleticism. Think of like think of like Hamadou Diallo was like a, a pretty good catch and shoot three point shooter, right? Like that's, <laughs> that's basically what, uh, what you're looking at with Cassius Stanley uh, in the hopes. And then uh, last but not least, Luca Garza, Ben, Luca Garza going from a two way to uh summer league darling to second team, all summer league to a full NBA contract. Uh, what do you think of the, the Luca Garza kind of ascension uh, throughout this off season? It's, it was surprising to me to see him get the, the standard two-year contract, to be perfectly honest. I mean, we all know the strengths and weaknesses, right? We've, we've talked about them. They're, they're very obvious. You know, I think the hope is if he can become like a slightly below average defender, like that, that's what you're hoping for, right? Like that you're hoping his development trajectory can go that way. Because, um, you know, to me, like you, you match him up against a lot of, um, you know, B-string or second-tier NBA big men. And I, I think he can probably put up some points, and I think he's going to grab a bunch of boards, right? It's going to be the defense that, that is potentially his Achilles heel. But, you know, I, I think when you look back at the last several years, um, Dwayne Casey and even before that, SVG, you know, those coaches have proved, I think, that if if you coach well and you scheme well, you can get more out of your team defense than the sum of the parts would suggest that you could, because especially the Pistons under Casey, like they've been a much better defensive team than I feel like they've had any business being a lot of the time. So, you know, I think if you're Troy Weaver, you're hoping that you can coach up 
and scheme around some of those weaknesses uh, because the, the offense he brings to the table is certainly interesting, right? You're not talking about a guy who's going to give you 36 minutes a night. You're talking about a guy who's probably going to give you, you know, if, if he does develop defensively, you know, probably two stretches a game, six to eight minutes where he can cause some potential problems for second units. And I think to me, that's certainly worth the two year flyer, even if it was a little bit surprising. Yeah, it is. It is not Luca Garza's fault that he's going to annoy me so much <laughs> this season. Uh, just because like, is he's so he's a very limited player, but what he does is very uh, valuable. He's a very efficient scorer. I think the the shooting was a real surprise, and that looked real in mm-hmm. summer league. And yeah, I think that, um, that like that's I, again we're talking about the the lack of. Uh, rim running big men, but an emphasis on shooting uh, above all else around Kate Cunningham, and he definitely adds shooting around Kate Cunningham. Um, at the same time, we you know talked about the scheme and and defense. Uh, even in summer league, I was rewatching some of the summer league games prior to the podcast just to you know refresh my memory before uh, the preseason started, and the other four guys on the floor had to work so hard. <laughs> to cover for Luca on uh on a lot of possessions. Like Seiku in particular was working like really hard um when he was on the floor with uh with Garza. And I think that like that might be fine. You might be able to get away with that during the regular season. Um and it's not like this Pistons team is gonna be a postseason team. Um but yeah it's just it's like I don't I don't know if uh I don't know if expending time in a Luca Garza is uh, going to get you like the developmental results uh, that you want. I think he, he kind of is what he is. And um, it, what remains to be seen is like how, how valuable a like, you know, instant 12 point per game, big man off the bench kind of is um, for this team. But yeah, the, the fans have really loved Luca Garza though. That's, that's going to be the thing that gets me. Uh, that uh, gets me during the course of the season. Um, speaking of like me watching a bunch of summer league, uh, Ben, um, what were some of your takeaways from the you know three or so games uh, of Cade Cunningham, the five or so games from everybody else um, that you that you saw in Las Vegas? So, I mean, for me, I wa- I focused so heavily on Cade and Killian. That's those were the things I was really paying the most attention to. Um, I was very impressed with. Um, I won't say Cade's ath- athleticism because that's not the right word, but it's the best word that comes to mind. Um, his length and his savvy, I think, sort of make up for some of the criticisms that are probably rightfully levied against some of his athleticism. Um, I was very impressed with how, how mature he was, right? Like we, we heard the interviews on draft night. That's what everyone says. You know, he's a very young father, et cetera. He's all very mature, but that translated into the, into the NBA game, right? Like he, he didn't try to push himself. He didn't try to rush his scoring he did a very good job of, of playing within himself and um, involving other teammates and players who were trying to earn their way onto an NBA roster. I was very impressed with all of that. He, of course, had the, the fantastic cross-up uh, against Green, 
that made all of the highlight reels that gives you just this little taste of some of the things we're hopefully going to see from him uh, during his rookie season. So, you know, that's where I was really focused was on Cade. And I, I was very happy with what I saw, um, you know, looking into the season, I think we're, we're going to see a lot of exciting games out of Cade. I think what's, what's going to be the differentiating factor between if he's just good for a rookie versus being good and a productive NBA player. Like, I, I think we're going to see plenty of games where he gets 18 points and eight assists and, and five boards or something. But the question is, does it take him 20 shots and six turnovers to get there? Or does it take him 16 shots with three turnovers? Right. And to me, like, it, I wouldn't be surprised if we get a lot of those those turnovers and missed shots during his rookie season as, as he's learning uh, with the hope that, you know, that starts to change over the next couple of seasons. So I was really impressed with all of those things about about Cade and very excited um, as a Pistons fan that we get to watch him. Uh, and then with Killian, I was a, a little bit disappointed, understanding, though, that the, the time between the end of the regular season and summer league was somewhat abbreviated because of the, this crazy two years of NBA schedule that we had. Um, but Killian in a lot of ways sort of looked, looked the same, right? He, he wasn't necessarily impressing with his jumper the way that I would maybe have hoped to have seen. Uh, he still looked very much like he was during the regular season. And again, very abbreviated timeline. And we understand there wasn't a lot of time for development. Those are really the two guys that I was watching the most. Still optimistic about both of them, um, but a little less so with, with Killian. And then I will just say, um, I did. I was not annoyed at all by Luca during summer league. I thought it was fun to watch him eat. So I'll, I'll just say that his limitations notwithstanding, it was fun to watch him to really blossom and play well. No, I think that's totally fair. Uh, I was also, I was also slightly disappointed, but remaining uh, optimistic long-term on Killian. Um, the thing I will say about Kate and Killian during summer league was that I, I read and observed like a lot of frustration that uh, Cade was not being utilized as a primary ball handler like more often in summer league, um, and when when you bring up the specter of you know Cade is going to score eighteen points and uh, get his assists, it's just a matter of how many shots and turnovers it takes to get there. Um, what I what I noticed in summer league um, and something that I hope does not continue in the regular season was that really the only person making Cade's life any easier was Killian. Right, like Killian, uh, no, not a shooter, uh, not you know, still working out some of the kinks on the jump shot. I think uh, there's a there's a very nice piece on DBB about the uh, the leg sway uh, that he displays on occasion with his jumper and how that uh, impacts his shooting and why he should probably cut that out. Um, but at the same time, you know, Kid is doing a lot of his damage in isolation. But um, if but if Killian's if he's in the backcourt with Killian and Killian's passing to him. Like he's getting open catch and shoot looks, right? Um, and he's Killian's really the only dude. Uh, despite the fact that uh, Killian's not an amazing threat as a shooter or as like a, a rim attacker right now, he's still putting pressure on the defense. He's still willing to to take a couple dribbles into the lane and kick it out. And you know, I think making making sure Cade gets like a steady diet of shots that don't come after you know, seven dribbles and, and two combinations, I think is going to be an important part of keeping Cade an efficient and effective uh, NBA player. Like when, you know, that's that could just be a summer league thing. I do think that like in the NBA, 
uh, as a part of the starting lineup, like Jeremy Grant, although not an amazing playmaker, uh, will also like get so much of defensive attention that he will make Kate Cunningham's life easier. Uh, I think Killian will continue to, you know, uh, be able to uh, pass the ball and, and make Cade's life easier. But I just thought that was interesting that like really like, uh, you know, Cade survived on a steady diet of, of uh, tough shots. And I would hope to not see that uh, all the time uh, in the NBA. The other thing I noticed was that there's a lot of emphasis on shooting on this team. And it did kind of feel like when the Pistons were knocking down shots, I'm thinking of, you know, the first six minutes against the Oklahoma City Thunder, right? Or the the first quarter against the Knicks. When the Pistons are knocking down threes, they looked uh, they looked really good in the summer league. Um, but when when the shots weren't going in, uh, when you had guys like Sadiq Bay and, and Spencer Littleson struggle from behind the arc, guys who are you know ostensibly good shooters but just like didn't have it on that particular uh, game, it was uh, it was really tough for the Pistons to score points. And because because Cade is not right, and because of the uh, because some of the spacing issues, because Cade's not an amazing like rim attacker uh, athletically right now, and because again like of Killian's limitations, it did kind of feel like if they weren't uh, getting those driving kick threes, that the offense was kind of stagnant, or the offense wasn't uh, able to kind of shift gears and, and get to the rim. Uh, Saban Lee, of course, was uh, was the only guy really on the team who could who could do that at all, and I think that's why he was. Uh, that's why he looked so good in particular the last uh, summer league game against the Lakers. But, uh, you know, you look at the roster and that's, that's another concern with, uh, with like with Cade, with Killian, um, with guys like Frank Jackson um, and, and Corey Joseph, like, you know, you think of, you think of the guys who can really put pressure on the rim in the half court and it's Jeremy and it's Hami. And it's like maybe Josh Jackson, if uh, he's feeling nice that night, <laughs> but like, otherwise like it, uh, because again, the lack of like a, a, a lob threat, uh, and because of the the premium the team is putting on spacing, it does feel like uh, I feel like the the team might only have one really good pitch uh, to mix uh, to mix my sports metaphors. What do you think of that, Ben? The metaphor? <laughs> <laughs> Not really Both? a baseball fan. No, no. I think you're right, Lass. I think this is definitely a hole in the roster that, and I think also this is probably part of why I think the Pistons are going to be worse than a lot of fans want the Pistons to be this year. I think any team that lives and dies by the three is going to have a lot of nights where they die because that's just the nature of three point shooting. It's inconsistent. And, um, you know, we talked a ton about that with Killian Hayes a season ago. It's not there yet. Um, you know, will Cade develop some of that over the course of the season? Some of that's, that's possible, but, I mean, Jeremy Grant is good at getting to the free throw line, or at least he was good at getting to the free throw line for the first half of last season. But beyond that, you're right. I mean, Hami does some of that. Um, but yeah, you're, you're right. There's just isn't that other thing, right? There's, okay, we've got a bunch of guys who can space and shoot, and we've got some decent ball handlers, but we, we don't have another look necessarily to throw at you. Um, so yeah, that, that remains a problem and I think a limiting factor for how good the team can be, even if everything goes perfect uh, next season. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Ben, what are, what are your expectations for this team coming into the season? Do you think they, 
do you think they are going to end up chasing a play-in spot for like the entirety of the season? Do you think they're going to win like 15 games and we're going to get that uh, much desired uh, additional top five pick that we were talking about earlier? Um, do you think we're going to see like a lot of Jeremy Grant? Like, what what, do, what are your expectations like coming in? Yeah, well, obviously all of this is super preliminary, right? We haven't seen Cade Cunningham play against real NBA defenses yet, but I think he is sort of the linchpin for me. Um, I I personally still sort of expect him to have more of those. It takes him 18 shots to get 16 points and a handful of turnover nights than I think a lot of people expect him to have. And if that if that is the case, if that's the way the season goes, then I think the Pistons will be pretty bad. I, I think they'll struggle to get to 30 wins in that sort of a scenario. Um, you know, you look at what they were a year ago in terms of win losses. Uh, you look at that roster and what it was able to produce versus this roster. You know, it's... <laughs> unless Cade is absolutely phenomenal, like it's not like they added a whole bunch of stuff that moves the needle in really dramatic ways. In my opinion, I think you can expect some incremental progress out of Sadiq Bay. You can expect more progress out of Isaiah Stewart and Sabin Lee. But even if you add all of that together, you know, I don't think you're looking at any of those guys going from, you know, a better than we expected rookie into you know, fringe all-star or something, right? Like that's not the kind Mm -hmm. of progress we're talking about. Yeah. And then you look at um, the free agents that were added and or retained, you know, you're bringing back mostly the same crew that that got you to where you were a season ago. Admittedly though, you know, they, they did tank (laughs) over the last 20 or so. Pretty hard. Yeah. They could have won more games than they did. Certainly. Um, But you know, like Kelly Olenek, he, you know, he's, he's going to be a nice player. He's going to give the Pistons flexibility offensively. But, you know, even with Olenek, he's not a guy who moves the needle in a dramatic way, right? He's a guy who gives Cade Cunningham room to operate, and that's how I view his addition to the team. So I don't expect this to be a very good team unless Cade Cunningham is, you know, just absolutely fantastic over all 82 games and is able to really piggyback the team. I just don't. I don't see the talent base include uh, increasing significantly enough, you know, to make them a fringe playoff team or a fringe play in team or something like that. I think they're not going to be as bad as a season ago, however. So they're, I don't think going to be in the bottom two or three of the Eastern conference all season long. Um, You know, hopefully we don't see, you know, 60 games out of Jeremy Grant or something crazy. Right. I think if all of those, all of those veterans play, to their capacities and you get incremental progress from your existing young players and Cade Cunningham isn't, you know, the best rookie to ever grace the Pistons, but also doesn't struggle a whole lot, then you've probably got to win, you know, wins in the the low thirties, maybe mid thirties, who knows, maybe the East is terrible enough that puts you into the fight for the the play in game. That's always possible. Um, So yeah, I guess that's a long way of saying, I expect them to be a little better than last year, but, I I don't see them chasing the playoffs yet. I think the roster is too incomplete, and I think you're still going to see some volatility in the young guys. You're going to see nights where when they all play well and it all clicks, they're going to look really, really good. But then I think they're also going to have games where they look like rookies and sophomores, right? And that's going to lead to a handful of losses. So that's kind of what I'm expecting 
right now, uh, and having said that, if Cade Cunningham is a god among men and is the rookie of the year and plays great for 82 games, look, I'll be as happy as anyone about that. What's what's interesting to me is that like even if Cade is a god among men, I still don't think that that might not be enough just with what else is on the roster. You think about think about Luka Doncic, a guy Cade has been compared to positively, but I think it is also kind of agreed that Luka was a more a, a better prospect and a more established prospect coming into uh, his rookie year. Uh, Luka's rookie year. They had Dennis Smith Jr. They had like a 41-year-old Dirk. They had J.J. Barea, and they had like some other guys, uh, you know, some other like pretty nice pieces around uh, around Luka. So he didn't have to do everything all the time, but uh, he did have the ball in his hands a lot. And Luka was pretty good, if I remember correctly. He was Rookie of the Year. Um, averaged like over 20 points a game. And Dallas won 33 games and was 14th in the Western Conference. Yeah. So that is to say... If Cade's not as good as Luca, uh, it's and uh, still gets to do everything that Luca did, it's probably not going to go well, even in terms of wins and losses, like for the Pistons coming into this season. But that we should still remain like a long-term optimistic. Luca blew up in uh, in the second year; has been All NBA the last two years, um, you know, playoffs the last two years, um, and so you know, I don't know if we can ex- again. I don't know if we can expect that kind of developmental curve f- from Cade. But um, it wouldn't be a surprise if Cade plays well and the team is still really bad uh, this season. Um, I think, like, I think that's a reasonable set of expectations. Now, if you were asking me, like, what I as a fan want, I'd like, I would totally chase the play-in. I think that sounds fun. And you think about uh, winning game. Winning games is fun. Uh, having a high lottery pick is also fun. But you've got, you've got Cade and you've got Killian and you've got Sadiq and you've got Isaiah. So I, I feel like. Uh, asking for another top five pick is like a little greedy. I don't want to be greedy. I don't want the the basketball karmic gods to strike me down uh, for my hubris. Um, and I also think of like, I think of what the the Hornets managed to accomplish last season with Lamelo Ball in making the play in tournament. Um, how we're thinking about them coming into this season because of the way that they were able to win games um, and how Lamelo had like an outstanding impact. Um, for that team uh, in, in immediate in year one. Um, I like, I think that was good. That was good for basketball in Charlotte, right? I think that was, that was good for the team to know that uh, like a LaMelo is a dude that they can, they can build around and they can like start to envision like a team like with him uh, moving forward and like how they can win games doing that. Um, I think that, and like you think about, uh, I think about John Morant, right? John Morant has led his team to the play-in both years of uh, of his career. Um, obviously, lost in the play-in tournament in the bubble to the Portland Trailblazers, but I believe scored uh, a career high in baskets or like a career high in points in that play-in game. Um, like has looked has really impressed us and really been forced to raise the level of his game because of the higher stakes involved in like a play-in game. Um, like we saw that again in the playoffs this season against the Jazz in a, in a what was ultimately going to be like a doomed effort. Again, he's just forced to raise the level of his play uh, beyond what we saw from him in the regular season. And so I think like having those games to play, for, like having something to play for at the end of the season, I think can like definitely help a young guy 
reach a level um, that, uh, you know, playing uh, a tanking, another like tanking team in March, like can't. Uh, having stakes makes you go to a place uh, like physically and mentally that, you know, not really having stakes doesn't. And so I think as a, fi- a fan, it'd be fun to see, uh, to see the Pistons like try and go for the play-in. But I think, it, you know, put my analyst brain like back on. I don't think that's like a reasonable expectation for the team uh, going into this season. And I think too, like the Pistons did tank hard the last 20 games. Like the, the quality of the players they had on the roster was better than what their wins and losses were a season ago. So if they find themselves 50 or 60 games into the season and they're trying to decide whether they should tank hard or not, like something went wrong, right? Like I, I think they're, they're better than that. They have more talent than that. I just, I don't see them as, unless again, Kate is just a God among men. I just, I just don't see how they're going to be pushing for the playoffs. And I, I love that you pointed out like as a fan wanting to win, like I feel that so deeply. <laughs> less. And like, I feel like we're on the precipice, but we're just not there yet. Yeah. Definitely. All right, Ben. Last but not least, uh, we got a report from Yahoo Sports' Vincent Goodwill, a former uh, beat guy in Detroit, still has a lot of connections uh, to the Pistons, despite the front office changing over multiple times since the last time Benny was here. Um, We got a report that the Pistons are one of the teams in the NBA that's fully vaccinated. All the, when I say one of the teams, I mean all the players. Uh, I believe. Like the coaches have like a 99% uh, vaccine rate. Front offices, same thing. Um, but the the players has been kind of uh, one of the more minor obstacles to uh, to that. We got a report that the Pistons, all the Pistons players are fully vaccinated. Ben, uh, how much of a competitive advantage is having all your guys be vaccinated coming into the season? Well, hopefully, um, hopefully it won't be. And the reason I say that is because hopefully that means everybody else also gets to that vaccination goal. But in reality, it it could end up being significant, right? I mean, we saw even in the playoffs a season ago, um, you know, COVID protocols were very strictly enforced and they ended up costing, you know, they ended up costing teams in pretty significant ways. So, uh, you can certainly envision scenarios where that can become a real competitive advantage, especially if um, the COVID protocols end up being as strict as they were. And, you know, we'll have to see what the NBA does with all of those things in terms of how many days a player has to miss or test negative or, you know, whatever they put in place, but absolutely um, proud of that as a Pistons fan. I think that's a good thing. Um, And I think it's a good example. I I hope that some of those players can also be, um, voices of reason and and voices of persuasion and speak to some of the hesitancy that we see, um, particularly in areas like Detroit. So uh, very happy about that and absolutely could mean a a very literal and concrete advantage going into the season, which is crazy to say, but unfortunately true. No, definitely. Uh, I think the, the fact that it could be a competitive advantage, uh, kind of makes me sad as we as as you talked about as you alluded to um you know not having all the players uh be protected against the covid virus uh, is frustrating from an outside perspective but uh i under- i also understand 
especially <laughs> after after having a kid, I really understand you can't make people do things they don't want to do. So. <laughs> and so, uh, yeah, I, but I, I do think I am really pleased as a fan that it is one. It's one fewer thing that I have to worry about uh, for this team, like moving forward for the most part. And like that, that is uh, a great thing to take off my plate uh, heading into the season. All right, it makes good. It makes good business sense too, right? I mean, who wants to, you know, be a fan and watch a team where you've got players in and out of the lineup because of this this awful virus? Like, it, it makes good business sense to have that done. No, absolutely. All right, Ben. Are we still winning the Ryder Cup? We are still winning the Ryder Cup. It is thirteen to six. U.S. leads are six. Yeah, we only need one and a half more points to win. So it will mean that the Ryder Cup tournament ends early, more than likely, that they will stop play when they get to 14 and a half. So that's exciting. It's been uh, it's been rough for the United States the past, past what, like 20 years, I think. So fun, fun to be a fan of, of uh, the Ryder Cup and, and see the U.S. perform well. Uh, I thought it was interesting when I was watching the coverage, they were saying, so the Ryder Cup's in Wisconsin. Uh, this year, and I thought it was interesting that the and the broadcast was bringing up the fact that the uh, the lack of European fans might have played an impact on uh, <laughs> on uh, the performance of some of the uh, the European golfers. Uh, you know, lots of lots of American fans in the stands. They were very vocal, very into the Ryder Cup, um, and that may have played a factor in how the Europeans performed. It it is a super interesting theory because if if you have not if one has not watched the Ryder Cup, it is unlike any anything else in sports. It is truly a unique experience, and it it has been stunning to watch um, the European golfers who time and again, like if you look at the world the world golf ratings and all of those types of things, like the U.S. should have absolutely dominated a number of these tournaments over the years. But there's something about the teamwork and the camaraderie that has raised the level of play on the European side. And I have to believe that the fans contribute to that atmosphere because you see, you can see it in the golfers. You see a, a level of passion and competitive desire that just doesn't exist when these guys are playing in these individual tournaments. And it is truly fascinating. Uh, and I would not be surprised in any way if the lack of European fans who are very vocal uh they chant and sing and i i think pull the best out of out of the athletes they're cheering for i would not be at all surprised if that's made an impact i would uh that's also making me eager to see uh how we handle live crowds um for the pistons you know this offseason if i remember correctly they were they started to have like a small number of fans like a a smallish number of fans towards the end of the season um, but uh, it doesn't sound like there. Are, I think, if I remember correctly, um, there are going to be some requirements uh, as far as like proof of vaccination or proof of negative test goes for attendance uh, to a Pistons game this year. But uh, other than that, it sounds like they're going to be at uh, as much capacity as they can hold. And so uh, I think it'll be it'll be really fun to see like the fans be fully engaged like in this team um, in a way that we haven't seen. Uh, since 
even before COVID, like even before COVID, it's not like the it's not like LCA was packed. So I think yeah, and there'll be there'll be more to cheer for. I think we'll see. You know, on the public health side of things, I, I don't think there's very much desire to go back to strict capacity limits and all of that kind of stuff. And hopefully, that is a thing of the past and not something we have to worry about. But on the basketball side of things, like there's going to be something exciting to cheer for, and I think that is going to just naturally draw. Uh, more people into the arena, which absolutely will make things more interesting. For sure. All right, Ben, it's good to talk to you, man. It's good to it's good to do this again. Who knew there was an hour's worth of piston stuff to talk about in uh, <laughs> September, <laughs> right? When we haven't uh, seen basketball for weeks, but I love it. Yeah, I think it helps that like we haven't talked for true. so long, yeah, so it's like we got we got to talk about everything that true. happened for sure. All right, Ben. Uh, what's what's the plan for you uh, this season? How much uh, how much stuff are we going to see from you over at Detroit Bad Boys? Well, I'm hoping a little bit more. I'm you know for those who follow me on social media, I got two kids, but uh, my youngest just turned two, and I think uh, Laz, as you are learning, when you have a very very dependent young human <laughs> to take care of, um, it, you know it limits your ability to do some of the things. Uh, and participate in some of those things that you may want to. Um, I think you're learning a little bit about sleep deprivation, <laughs> how that impact, impacts motivation and those kinds of things. So, But for me, what I, all that to say, I'm hoping the independence of my growing children is going to help me contribute a little bit more. And, and that I will be excited about. Hopefully, uh, hopefully it's like riding a bike because I haven't written a whole lot in the last few years. Uh, I'm looking forward to you picking up my slack. <laughs> <laughs> because as as you said uh uh sleep deprivation is, is a real thing i don't know uh how much i'm going to be able to contribute this season outside of the podcast um but i will say if the quality of analysis fails on the podcast i'm blaming i'm blaming my seven month my seven week old son just like point blank period it's all his fault oh and you can blame him when he's seven months too and maybe even <laughs> seven years we'll see <laughs> yeah depending on how uh rambunctious he ends up being for sure all right, Ben, uh, let the people know where they can find you uh, and where they can find uh, more pictures of your beautiful kids. <laughs> At BR Gulker on Twitter. That's that's where to connect right now. Best place to find me. And of course, you can follow me on Twitter at Last Chance. That's at L-A-Z-C-H-A-N-C-E. All right, y'all, this, is, this has been fun. Uh, it's good to be back. It's good to be back podcasting. It's good to have something uh, to look forward to with this Piston season. Um, we will be back on a consistent basis from here on out, barring any uh, unforeseen complications related to children on <laughs> either of our ends. But we're back. We're back. We're back weekly uh, every every morning, every Monday morning in your uh, in your headphones. Thanks for sticking with us. Thanks for uh, everyone who like asked what was up, or everyone who kind of knew what was up uh, with me in, in the podcast over the off season, but still kind of like, you know, gently kind of querying in as like when the next podcast would be because they love listening to the podcast so much. Uh, everybody who, uh, you know, uh, helped, uh, not helped, but everybody who like said nice things about the birth of my child, I really appreciate it. Um, so thanks guys. Like it, it felt, it felt good uh, to like know that I would still have uh, an audience to return to <laughs> when we started uh, podcasting again. Uh, as always, thanks for listening, and we will talk to you guys next week. See you.